When Marcia was 14, she had a crush, and she wrote about it in her diary. Thursday, 21st of June, 1990 AD. I am totally, well, pretty much totally in love with Chris Beardmore. He's okay-ish good-looking, and I don't know what his personality is like. (laughs) So you're thinking, why does this guy make her feel faint? Turn her knees to jelly, set off little fireworks inside her heart at the mention of his name? Why? Listen to his voice and you'll find out. (laughs) Canadian accent. That's Marsha acknowledging just how attractive a Canadian accent can be. I'm Dan Meisner, and this, this is a very special episode of Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids. We're releasing it on July 1st, Canada Day. And to celebrate, we've put together a special collection of our favorite readings from and about our home and native land. Now, don't worry, you do not need to be Canadian to enjoy this episode. Regardless of where you're from, these readings are a ton of fun. We have letters to Canadian prime ministers, encounters with Canadian wildlife, a very harsh introduction to Canadian weather, and much, much more. This stuff is weird, it is wonderful, and it has a distinctly Canadian flavor. That's flavor with a U. So think about who you were when you were a kid and stick around. So often in Canada, we compare ourselves to other countries. We think about ourselves in relation to others. And that's exactly what our next reading is about. When Stephen was in grade two, he lived part of the year in England and part of the year in Canada. In his school journal, Stephen compared the two countries. And he did not hold back. England is better than Canada. England invented Canada. They were so nice, though, that they let France have Quebec. People in England are nicer than people in Canada. They let Canada speak English, and Canadians speak it wrong. People tell me how to speak words, and they are wrong. Most people in Canada can't afford to go to England. England is so cool, I love my gran. We live in a cool house when we were there. It is connected to other houses, and a train drives right behind it. My gran... (laughs) My gran and me listen to the BBC. BBC is like CBC, but better. We listen to fun shows, not the news, in the kitchen. The washing machine is in the kitchen. You can watch the clothes go all around as you eat toast. And this is an embarrassing line here. If Canada do not speak English right, England could take it away. I do not want to speak French. (laughs) Liverpool is the city where we go. And my, my teacher writes back to this again. 
Stephen, England sounds interesting. I like living in Canada. And I wrote back, good for you. Many Canadians have a close connection to nature and wildlife and the land we live on. And very often, that connection begins to form early in life. That's what our next two readings are about. When Andrea was 16, she spent the summer working as a junior ranger with the Ontario Ranger Program, which gave kids the opportunity to make some money and experience the Canadian North. And that summer... Andrea kept a journal, which describes both her wonder and amazement at the natural landscape and some unusual government-funded make-work projects. Here's Andrea. So July 4th, I left from Union Station in Toronto, boarding the train that would take me away from my normal little life in Windsor to Sioux Lookout. The landscape changed quickly from apartment buildings to open farmland. From there, it transformed into forests dotted with glittering blue lakes, Pine trees became the dominant species of tree, their pointed crowns protruding majestically from the green foliage of their deciduous cousins. (laughs) The whole scene spoke of the beauty and the natural elegance of the Canadian landscape. I didn't realize our country held such purity within its borders. Somehow I felt like I was coming home to a wilderness that would welcome me. On that first day, I was filled with optimism for the summer days ahead. July 31st. We went to clean the dump today. That's right, a dump. And guess what we did there? We picked up garbage. Who on earth picks up garbage at a dump? That is where the garbage is supposed to be, for heaven's sake. We had to move garbage that had escaped the confines of the dump to another part of the dump. Oh, and we found some really uncool stuff there. For instance, Sandy stumbled across a moose carcass and spent a good bit of time trying to tear the leg apart so it would fit in her garbage bag. My favorite find was a bag of ancient used tampons and pads. Of course, the bag ripped when I tried to pick it up, spilling its contents all over the sand. Not cool. After we had picked up tons of garbage, our supervisor organized Dump Olympics. We played discus with frying pans and had garbage bag hauling contests. Our supervisor played shot put with a sink, too. Who knew the dump could be so cool? So I waited all summer to see the northern lights, and I even spent some time sleeping outside, hoping I would catch a glimpse of them. So October 28th, our last day in Sioux Lookout, the final perfect touch to our last night together came at 11 o'clock when the northern lights finally made an appearance. They put on a spectacular show. They looked like a colored haze spreading across the sky. They created spirals above us and changed from blue to pink to green. You could see the stars through the light and meteors sped through the darkness. The show continued for an hour, and I stood on a picnic table just trying to comprehend the intense beauty being laid out before me. Tears of joy spilled over my face and blurred the vision of the aurora borealis. I have never felt such an intense welling of emotion, and I have never seen nature produce such an amazing display. It is a night I will never forget. And at the end of my journal from that summer, I include a list of 50 things I learned at ranger camp, and I'm including a few highlights. Scissors work in place of a lawnmower. Romance novels make great bedtime stories. 
it's bad to use an electric razor right after being read a steamy excerpt from a romance novel because people will draw dirty conclusions. (laughs) Don't put on a ring of birch bark and pretend it's a tube top. You may get stuck and people will have to cut you out. Leeches are fun to play with. Shaving is overrated. Hell, personal hygiene is overrated. When you drop a canoe in a bee's nest, run. When you're at an all-girls camp, all guys suddenly seem to have potential. And the very last lesson, the world is your bathroom. Our next reader, Matt, expressed his connection to nature in a slightly different way. When he was nine, Matt wrote a short piece of fiction featuring animals of the Canadian shield. It was printed on a dot matrix printer, and it's called Bird Story. When I returned from my trip to Zimbabwe, I went on a hike down the Grand hunting for martens and coons. I was thinking about the chief in Zimbabwe who said, Matt, you will get a great gift when you return home. I've always wanted a bald eagle. I was thinking of what I could train it for. I was looking at the water in the river, and all of a sudden, there it was. My gift was in the reflection of the water. It was a bald eagle. It came down and landed on my shoulder. It seemed like we knew each other already. I said to the bird, what should I call you? I know, spirit. That's what I will call you. Come, spirit, I called. We left for home. I wonder what my parents would say when they saw spirit. (laughs) When we got home, my parents said I would have to keep spirit in my treehouse. I agreed with them. I'll have to train him the scent of fish, coons, and martens so he can hunt for me. I took him to the treehouse on my shoulder and I left him there. The next day I went to see him. I couldn't find him. I couldn't find spirit. I didn't tell my parents anyway. It was six o'clock in the morning. I went burning down the street on my bike. I headed for Devil's Cave. I locked my bike around a tree. I whistled as loud as possible. Spirit, I called my bird. My voice echoed. I heard a screech, but I didn't know if it was him or another bird. Nope, it wasn't him. It was a brown-headed hawk. I think I was studying the Canadian Shield at the time. I searched down the shallower part of the river. There he was. His wing was covering three cute bobcats. Now, why would bobcats be doing in this part of Canada, I thought to myself. There was a loud screech from Spirit. In his eyes sort of told me that to stay away until he let them go. After Spirit let them go, he flew on my shoulder, and I left for home. One afternoon, I went hunting with my neighbor, Chuck. He drove down in his car. It was quite early, so the coons would be out. Bang, a loud sound went off. It was a gun. There was a long pause. I ran towards where Spirit was. There was Mr. Sampson, the man that lived behind us who didn't like Spirit. Spirit was shot in the wing. It will heal, Chuck told me. Spirit had a bandage on his wing for a few weeks. The weeks passed on, and Spirit and I kept up the hunting. It was August, and the summer was almost over. One day, Spirit and I went hunting, for it was the last week of summer, and I needed the money. 
so we caught coons by the minute. Spirit circled above, and by the edge of the river was Mr. Sampson with his gun? Question mark. <clears throat> he went to fire at Spirit. Then Mr. Sampson fell into the water. The current was fast. <laughs> oh, yeah. Spirit swooped down and picked up Mr. Sampson into the air and carried him to safety. When I got up the hill, I saw Spirit with Mr. Sampson. Thank you, Max, Mr. Sampson said. My name's changed at the end of the story. <clears throat> Don't thank me. Thank Spirit, I told him. Spirit and I left home in the sunset. The end. like really into eagles in this I have no idea what it, where the bald eagle came from I think I went down the list of like cool animals in the Canadian shield and I picked what would be the most like majestic to have and then I picked a raccoon for some reason to hunt to make money for the during the summer because that's what kids did in 1988 right <laughs> is hunted raccoons and sold their pelts for money exactly yes in the 80s that was very popular I'm pretty sure <laughs> A big part of the story of Canada includes the countless individual stories of people who come here from around the world. When our next reader, Paul, was nine, his family moved from the Netherlands to Canada. And Paul wrote about it in his journal. Here he is on stage in Ottawa, sharing what it was like to be nine years old, new to Canada, and getting accustomed to a new culture and a new language. When we moved to Canada, I knew three English words, yes, no, and peanut butter. <laughs> September 19th, 1989. My name is Paul. I live two miles to the west, one kilometer north, and then a driveway to the west, and there I live. <laughs> September 20th. My mom is 32, and her name is Marianne. My dad is 35, and his name is Jan. My brother is eight, and his name is George. My sister is six, and her name is Hannah. I am nine, and my name is Paul. <laughs> September 27th. <laughs> this morning, when I was in my bed, I want to go to Holland again because I miss my friends. I want to play with them again. September 29th. My best friend, he is nine. His name is Eric. And then Jan Willem, he is nine too. And then Julian, and he is nine too. <laughs> I write to them every month a big letter with two sides full. But now I don't got time to write a letter this month, so that will come. <laughs> October 19th. When we were on camp, I thought the children from Rimby that they were Dutch. And when I wanted to speak to them, I started in Dutch. October 31st. <laughs> Today is Halloween, but I can't go trick or treat because my mom don't like that children go ask for candies. <laughs> November 2nd. <laughs> Yesterday when I came home, we got a bag full with candies from Angela, our neighbor. <laughs> November 10th. This morning when I woke up, there was snow outside, 
When I was finished, I went outside and I made two big snowballs. <laughs> November 14th. <laughs> Yesterday, we had a little holiday because it was Remembrance Day. <laughs> November 20th. <laughs> Friday night, we went skating on the creek. There was ice on it already. There is a creek on our farm, and on that creek, we went skating. <laughs> November 27th. I learned this weekend to hockey skate. My mother teached me how to do it. My brother, Fal, on the minute. <laughs> December 5th. Saturday, we skated a lot with my dad and my brother. I learned a bit more speed skating from my dad. I learned to go around the corners. <laughs> December 15th. In Holland, I never won a prize with skating because if I go fast, I go fast. But when I start, I go slow because the race is always short. <laughs> February 12th. Yesterday, I beat my dad in chess, but I think that I can't beat my grandpa. He is the best. Well, I'm going to try it and hope I win then. That is my biggest wish. March 27th. Yesterday, I made a goalie stick, and tomorrow, my mom is going to Holland. <laughs> April 2nd. Yesterday night, I cried because I miss my mom. Aww. April 9th. <laughs> Yesterday, we wrote a letter to Grandma. Tomorrow, my mom. <laughs> May 8th. This morning, it was easier to get the cows in. May 9th. Last night it was hard to get the cows in the barn. May 10th. We won 21 to 10. May 14th. With floor hockey, we won three times and lost two times. In Holland with soccer, we were twice champions. May 15th. On the 18th is my mom and dad anniversary, and we might go to a restaurant. <laughs> May 27th. The Environment by Paul Slump. <laughs> Do we want everything to die? <laughs> Trees sick and animals shy? We don't care a lot. That's why animals get shot. The world is going by so quick. Smoke is making everything so sick. Almost all the people don't care with pollution in our air. I know a guy, he was so shy. With pollution in our air and all the factories smoking there. If you could go back in time and talk to nine-year-old you, what would you tell him? I'd tell him to lighten up a little bit. <laughs> I was a serious kid, and I should have played more. <laughs> when Roger was 14, his family immigrated from Trinidad to Canada. And in Toronto, he shared a journal entry that chronicles his very last day in Trinidad, just before leaving. Here's Roger. I had never seen the grass so green before. The air was cool and sweet. 
I had always had to get up early for school. The school day began at, at 7.30 a.m. But I never had time to just stand outside as the morning sun rose, causing the dew to glisten. It made the grass look different, darker, richer. I felt wicked. It was a school morning, but I wasn't going to school. Friday had been my last day. Even my Spanish teacher, who I was scared to death of, had been nice to me and given me a book so I wouldn't forget Fatima College. He had offered words of encouragement and seemed almost human. (laughs) Today was Monday, and I had a funny, jittery feeling in my stomach that wouldn't go away. The apartment that had been home for as long as I could remember was empty. There were a couple of suitcases in the middle of the living room, and that was it. All of my toys were gone, all of my posters were gone, as was my computer. My parents hadn't wanted to pay to ship any of it, so it all had to be given away. I stood in the hallway where my bike had been kept. That too was gone. Voices echoed through the empty apartment as my mother, father, and brother talked about what tomorrow would be like. We were moving, but we weren't just moving somewhere else on the island. We were leaving Trinidad completely and heading to Canada, the great white north where people didn't pronounce letter T like we did. (laughs) (laughs) Where we couldn't wear short pants outside. (laughs) And where we would have to wear big poofy jackets all the time or we would freeze. (laughs) The coolest I'd ever been before was sitting in a room with air conditioning. It was impossible to fathom being so cold that I would abandon T-shirts and instead choose such atrocious attire that (laughs) reminded me more of a life preserver than an everyday fashion item. (laughs) I did not really know a lot about Canada. All I really knew about it was that it was north of America and we'd be living in a house instead of an apartment. Cars had the steering wheel on the left-hand side, and they drove on the right side of the road instead of the other way around. Clocks went forward and backward depending on the time of year. (laughs) I missed that extra hour of sleep, let me tell you. In Canada, they they played baseball instead of cricket. Packaging had both English and French on it. I would see snow for the first time. I did, however, know about screen doors. I'd been to Canada once before. We stayed in a hotel in downtown Toronto and went up the CN Tower. We also watched a Blue Jays game. There had been an air show that day, and a British Airways Concorde had flown overhead. That visit was the first time I had ever encountered a screen door. My parents were visiting a friend, and I was wandering around the house looking for my brother. I saw him outside on a swing, so I joyfully left through what appeared to be an open doorway. A few seconds later, I found myself rolling around on the ground trapped inside a black mesh. Never again, I swore. Never would I underestimate the screen door. It was time to go. 
Our cars were gone, so one of my father's friends came to pick us up. We left the place where we where I'd grown up for the last time. I learned to climb trees and how to play football, the real kind, not American or Canadian, <laughs> and cricket there. We used to walk around on stilts made out of Milo tins, but it seemed we were leaving all of those childish things behind. Our parents told us that Canada would be a place where we would work and study harder than we had ever done before. The jittery feeling in my stomach was becoming worse. I was excited, but I was also sad and nervous. I always enjoyed going on trips, but this was not a holiday. We were going one way only. I wondered what it would be like to never come back. I watched the road go by as we raced to the airport. I, wa- I enjoyed watching the broken lines on the road dash by the car. BWIA, British West Indian Airways, pronounced BWI, was the national airline of Trinidad and Tobago and was carrying us to Canada. Infamous for its unreliability, it had earned such, itself such gracious nicknames as Bound for Wait in Airport and But Will It Arrive? <laughs> it ran true to its name and it was delayed more than two hours that day. We boarded the Sunjet St. Lucia, an L-1011-500, in the middle of the afternoon. I watched my father kiss the tarmac of the island where he had grown up, a home he loved that he was leaving to create a better life for my brother and myself. I patted the side of the plane as I boarded. The metal felt smooth and cool. I took a deep breath in and swore I would never again take take for granted the way the sun felt on my face and the breeze in my hair. We left our island behind, a green gem in the sparkling Caribbean sea. I knew I'd be back, but for now it was what lay ahead at the end of our seven-hour journey that frightened yet excited me. I watched as the sun set, and we flew on into darkness. Thank you. read it, uh, the memories come back so vividly. I think I'm a very different person now than I used to be back then. Uh, my, certainly my core values as well as my sense of humor were starting to take shape and a lot of things from that part of my life are still extremely, extremely important to me. But I've also grown in, in ways that perhaps I would not have had we stayed in Trinidad. I think that starting a new part of your life, whether it's a new job, new school, new city or country, is always challenging. There are big changes and the excitement and apprehension that come with that. I think that everyone has successes and setbacks during periods of transition. I think what I would suggest to young Roger is to take a breath, to take some time to reflect, and to talk less, and listen and to watch more. This, of course, is a very special Canada Day episode of Grown Ups Who Thinks They Wrote as Kids. And our next reader, Jenny, shared a piece of writing that takes place on Canada Day. When she was 14, Jenny and her friends went to a Canada Day concert in downtown Calgary, and she wrote about it in her diary. Well, yesterday was pretty cool. Trish had just slept over. At night, we read magazines, talked, and listened to music. Cool. <laughs> Well then, yesterday was Canada Day, 
and there was a huge celebration at Princess Island Park. I went with Trish, Jaspreet, and Serena. Dad dropped us off at 11 o'clock, and we had like five hours until Tarek and Age of Electric were performing. <laughs> so we went to Eau Claire Market and TD Square. I got awesome fake glasses, and so did Serena. I also got some makeup, candles, earrings, and patches. The concert was an unforgettable experience. There were tons of weird people. Freaks. Sluts. Trendies. Gross people. Pedophiles. Druggies and hippies. Both Tarek and Age of Electric were great. I was on the verge of the mosh pit and saw so many crazy body surfers go up and come down. One guy came out of the mosh pit bleeding to death. It was pretty brutal. Unfortunately, this day had a pretty crappy ending. Serena started to get crazy and she threw all these papers up into the air and they all landed in a pool. Some woman started to bitch at her and Serena was swearing back at her. Then she took a huge pile of papers and spread them all across the road. When my dad came to pick us up, some woman told on Serena. My mom and dad made her go out and pick up all the papers. <laughs> Just as I expected, when we got home, I got a lecture about hanging out with Serena. My dad hates her, as I expected, but despite all the wrong she did, she did give me two of her necklaces very cool. Part of me wondered just how accurate Jenny's account of that Canada Day concert was. So for another perspective, I reached out to Tarek, one of the musicians who played at that show. And he told me it was memorable for him too. I do remember it really well. And, uh, and I've never seen anything like that before at any, car, any shows that I've played. I've never had anybody mosh to my music before. This is completely uh, unorthodox and, and, again, like quite a wild experience. So there I'm like playing, uh, and I remember the, uh, the bleeding guy, the bleeding mosher as well. In any case, it was you know, a, a very much a surprise and unexpected. So a great day, great memory of Canada Day. Jenny, thank you for uh, reigniting that uh, in my brain and uh, nice to hear you know from the perspective of a fan as well you sort of forget that as a performer that you think it's all about what you're doing on stage but you know audience members have great cast at the shows as well and it's nice to hear it from from that perspective as well so thanks for that and uh, hey uh, everybody out there happy camping see you later peace When Jen was seven, she came up with a great idea. It was such a great idea, she decided to share it with the Prime Minister. She wrote a letter to Brian Mulrooney. She's going to read that now. So, 
Um, I'm a bit confused as to why I even have this letter today, because my parents were supposed to mail it to Ryan Mulroney. <laughs> Dear Mr. Mulroney, I don't think it is fair that there is a Mother's Day and a Father's Day and there is no Children's Day. I asked my mom and dad, how come there is no Children's Day? And they said, every day is Children's Day. But I said, every day is not Children's Day because you don't give me presents and cards every day. One day, I told my grandma, she said I should write to you. So I wrote this note from Jennifer Robinson. P.S. I made up a date for Children's Day, July 10th. (laughs) Our next reader, Caleb, also wrote a letter to Brian Mulrooney when he was seven. In it, he outlined a plan to rid the world of nuclear bombs, complete with very detailed instructions. Live on stage in Victoria, here's Caleb. So it says how to prevent nuclear bombs. I apologize (laughs) if I stumble. The penmanship is not great. (laughs) How to prevent nuclear bombs. To Mr. Mulrooney, I would like to help to destroy bombs, make a suction cup like this. And there's the suction cup. To get to the army forces, um, use a drill like this, and there, there's laser beams coming out, and there's a Canadian flag and air coming out the back. <laughs> the suction cup will stick to the bomb. It will suck the powder out. To get to the forces, use the drill. Use a laser gun to make a hole the size of the suction cup. The suction cup will suck the power out. The control panels of the drill look like this. And there's a little uh, schematic of the (laughs) control panel. And it says, oxygen, door, fast, slow, lights, drill, laser, and cup. And there's also a compass. (laughs) Take the huge drill for a test drive. If it works, go to the army forces right away and then destroy the bombs. If it does not work, could you please destroy the nuclear bombs? About myself. I am seven years old. I go to Sansbury McTavish School. I have blue eyes. I have black and blonde hair. My favorite cooler is red. I have a nice smile. I have lots of fun every day. If you need help, I am here. Bye now from Caleb. And then I got a, a, a letter from the Prime Minister. And it says, Dear Ca-, it's on fancy Prime Ministerial letterhead. And it says, Dear Caleb, I would like to thank you very much for writing to me about world peace. As you know, I also have a family, and my four children have their own questions about the future of Canada and the world. I promise you now, as I have promised my own children, that I will do everything in my power as Prime Minister to work towards a more peaceful world for everyone. This not only means helping to rid the world of nuclear weapons, but also sending aid to the poor and hungry people in other countries. 
I am always very happy to hear from young people who show a concern for their nation and the world around them. It reassures me that in future generations, Canada will be left in caring hands. Thank you for writing. My children, Carolyn, Mark, Ben, and Nicholas, have asked me to send you their greetings. With every good wish, yours sincerely, Brian Mulroney. Of course, Jen and Caleb were not the only kids to write letters to elected officials. Our next reader, David, had that very same impulse. But before we hear his letter, a quick history lesson. In 1995, the province of Quebec held a referendum. The question, should Quebec proclaim itself a sovereign nation independent from Canada? This issue of Quebec sovereignty sparked a huge national discussion, and a few years after the 1995 referendum, a young David decided to add his voice to the debate. Here he is, reading a letter written in 1998 to the Premier of Quebec at the time, Lucien Bouchard. Dear Premier Lucien Bouchard, my name is David Williams. I am nine years old. I live in Thunder Bay, which I did at the time. Uh, I'm writing to you about the separation issue. I think it's foolish, therefore I disagree. (laughs) I think if you separated, you could be in a civil war. (laughs) The worst could be World War III. (laughs) If Quebec separated, you could not get the Maritimes to join you. If you started a war, perhaps France might join you. And then it would be two countries against one. But I see no reason why Canada can't get the United States to join them. (laughs) Countries could keep joining forces, and it could end up in World War III. Now, why would you want to start a war by separating? If you separated, a war or other reasons could decrease the population. Some people may come to Canada or go to other countries, and some would die in the war. (laughs) If Quebec separated, uh, the people of Quebec would have to pay higher taxes. (laughs) If you became a separate country, you may not be able to use the Canadian dollar. You'd be on your own, so you'd have to start on your own. And then my grandfather, who was helping me with this, wrote... (laughs) in pencil at the bottom. P.S. I'm in my fifth year studying French. (laughs) Thank you. Some kids write to Canadian politicians. Other kids write about Canadian politicians. When Sarah was in grade six, she had to write a report on a personal hero. And Sarah chose to write her report about Joe Clark, former leader of the Federal Progressive Conservative Party and the youngest person ever to become Prime Minister of Canada. So this is my grade six research project on the Right Honourable Charles Joseph Clark. Introduction. Joe Clark is a man that many people thought would be a failure. It was evident that he didn't have Trudeau's charisma or Mackenzie's staying power, but he did have other attributes like honesty, integrity, modesty, and a vision for a perfect Canada. He has had an interesting career 
one that seems sometimes difficult to follow, but always entertaining to learn about. (laughs) Many people just think of Joe Clark as an old joke, but he is anything but one. I believe that Joe Clark is misunderstood and has been thrashed by the liberals and the other parties, but there weren't that many others when he was prime minister. Because some people think he is odd for his honesty, an attribute that in the dirty world of politics isn't always something that people can understand. After his term as prime minister, many people began to doubt his abilities. He later became just another conservative member of parliament after his own party dumped him in a leadership race. The story here isn't, though, about what Joe's failed at doing. It's about how he has kept his head high and stayed in politics for as long as he has. He is a wonderful debater and is very bilingual, which is something the separatists from Quebec would like. (laughs) And he is honest about what he can and can't do, and he is modest. These are all things I want in a prime minister. When I grow up, I know who I'm voting for. Do you? Happy learning about Joe Clark. And then there is a section uh, on his personal life. Not quite sure where my sources were, but uh, this is about his food, his taste in food. There is, of course, no way someone could be conservative in every area. For Joe Clark, the area where he is adventurous is when it comes to food. (laughs) Mr. Clark likes steak, but would never eat a hamburger. He is always trying different and new foods. As his wife Maureen says, if there is something interesting on the menu, he will usually try it. (laughs) Joe likes seafood, particularly lobster and fresh fish. Mr. Clark never eats potatoes, cold foods, and sandwiches. Ms. McTeer says he has never had a Big Mac attack. And his daughter, Catherine, has been quoted as saying that the family ate a lot of salads growing up. When Mr. Clark was attending the University of Alberta, he did not have very good eating habits, and he was known as a cocaholic. <laughs> Meaning that he loved to drink Coke. While attending university, he ate a lot of chips, cheese crisps, candies, peanuts, and was a fan of a canned candied popcorn treat called poppycock. (laughs) Mr. Clark has eggnog at breakfast to line his stomach so that the pains in his stomach that he often gets from drinking coffee will not be too intense. The right honorable Joe Clark has to drink a lot of coffee during the day to keep him going. The coffee drinking has become a habit. He has to drink it so often. Thanks. Where did you get those details? That was not in my copy of Encarta. That is our very special Canada Day edition of Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. Our show was recorded live in cities across Canada and produced by Jenna Meisner. Olivia Nashmi is our associate producer. Our music is by Poddington Bear and Lullatone. Our closing theme is Oh Dear Diary by Sloan. If you enjoyed this episode of Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids, tell somebody about it. I'm Dan Meisner. Thanks for listening.
A Canadian accent in England is the most horniest, cutest thing ever heard. 